This is Retire at Peace with Gerald G. Ginwright from Mainstream Financial Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Gerald provides his clients and prospects the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Retire at Peace with Gerald G. Ginwright. Hello and welcome back to Retire at Peace. This is Gerald G. Ginwright with Mainstream Financial Group. If you would like more information about what you hear on today's show, give us a call at 888-324-0589 or visit us online at retireatpeacepodcast.com. And while you're at my website, click on the radio page and check out our past shows and subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify. So you're finally retired. No more commutes. No more late nights at the office. No more 2 a.m. emails demanding an immediate response. The world is your oyster and you're in control of your schedule. Doesn't that sound great? Does it get any better than that? But then, let's say on some random Tuesday afternoon, a day and time for many years you would have been at work. You head to the mailbox and find a letter from the IRS informing you that a tax issue with one of your retirement accounts is pending. During today's episode, we're going to take a close look at how many different types of retirement income are taxed to help you feel more confident that your strategy is buttoned up and ready to go. A Kiplinger article, How 13 Types of Retirement Income Get Taxed, does a terrific job of breaking down how many of the most common sources of retirement income are taxed and what you can do to make sure that your strategy addresses your various tax needs. I encourage the people that I work with to think on and about tax retirement taxes like this. As you creep ever closer to retirement, you start spending a fair amount of time planning for exciting things like that's on that bucket list of trips, the new golf courses you want to try, and how you want to spoil your grandkids. But while planning for things like that, you should also sit down with a financial services professional to come up with a solid tax strategy. The article's first big nugget of information focuses on traditional 401ks and IRAs. On the front end, these tax-deferred accounts often reduce your taxable income, thus saving you money in the current tax year. Savings, dividends, and investment gains with these accounts grow tax-deferred. But it is easy to lose sight of the fact that you'll eventually pay taxes on this money when you retire and begin taking withdrawals. And those taxes apply to gains and pre-tax or deductible contributions. And you can't put off withdrawals forever. As Kiplinger explains, required minimum distributions, or RMDs, 
currently began at age 72 for those with traditional IRAs and 401ks. Folks who are still working past 72 may be able to delay taking their RMDs from their current employer's 401ks until they officially retire, as long as they don't own more than 5% of the company that employs them. You should also hear and bear in mind that the tax rate you pay on traditional IRAs and 401ks would be your ordinary income tax rates. Additionally, if you take payouts before 59, you're often going to be smacked with a 10% penalty on top of your regular tax rate. Let's next look at Roth IRAs. First, they come with one potential advantage. While Roth contributions aren't deductible, but withdrawals are tax-free. Two important notes here. First, you must have had your Roth IRA account for a minimum of five years before you can begin tax-free withdrawals. The countdown begins the first time money is deposited into your Roth IRA, whether through a contribution or a conversion from a traditional IRA. Second, though, you may be able to withdraw the amount you contributed at any time tax-free in most cases, you must be at least 59 and a half to withdraw any gains without facing the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Let's now take a look at Social Security. Prior to 1983, Social Security benefits were tax-free. And while many recipients still don't pay taxes on their benefit, others are in a different boat depending on their provisional income and some may end up paying federal income taxes on a percent of their benefits. If your provisional income is under $25,000 or $32,000 for married couples filing a joint return, your Social Security benefits are tax-free. If your provisional income is between $25,000 and $34,000 or between $32,000 and $44,000 for joint filers, as much as 50% of your benefits are taxable. If your provisional income is greater than $34,000 or $44,000 for joint filers, as much as 85% of your benefits are taxable. The article next addresses pensions. Though they aren't as prevalent as they once were, a fair number of people still count one as part of their financial strategy. Pensions are funded with pre-tax money, which means the full amount of your pension would become taxable once you begin receiving payments. Typically, payments from both private and government pensions are taxed at your ordinary income rate. As long as you haven't made any after-tax contributions to your plan, are stocks, bonds, and mutual funds potentially sources of retirement income? As Kiplinger explains, if you sell stocks, bonds, or mutual funds that you've possessed for at least a year, your money is taxed at long-term capital gains rates, which are 0, 15, and 20%. When you compare those numbers to the top ordinary income tax rate of 37%, the difference is stark. 
Those three percentages, 0, 15, and 20, are based on specific income caps that are adjusted yearly for inflation. This year, the 0% rate applies to those with a taxable income of as much as $41,675 for single filers, $55,800 for head of household filers, and $83,350 for joint filers. The 20% rate begins at 459751 for single filers, 488501 for head of household, and 517201 for joint filers. The 15% rate applies to folks with taxable income between 0 and 20% tax breaks. You should also note there's a 3.5% surtax on net investment income in addition to the 15% or 20% capital gains for single filers with modified adjusted gross incomes of more than $200,000 or $250,000 for joint filers. This 3.8% additional tax is required on the smaller of net investment income are the excess of modified adjusted gross income greater than $200,000 or $250,000 amounts I just mentioned. As for selling at a loss, the situation is very straightforward. If you sell at a loss, that amount may offset capital gains for the year plus as much as $3,000 of other income. Excess losses can be carried forward each year indefinitely, but are subject to the same tax treatment until those losses are erased. Let's next look at dividends. Many retired people own stock, whether directly or through a mutual fund. As the article spells out for tax purposes, dividends paid by companies to stockholders are treated most often as qualified. In rare cases, those dividends are considered non-qualified. Qualified dividends are taxed at the long-term capital gains rates I explained a few moments ago, while non-qualified dividends are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Generally, shareholders have to hold stocks for a certain block of time to take advantage of the capital gains rates for dividend payment. For example, dividends that are paid on common stock have to be held for at least 60 days inside the time period that begins 60 days and concludes 60 days after the date the company announces a dividend payment. If you own an annuity, there's a strong likelihood that some, perhaps even all, of any income you get from an annuity will be taxable. If you bought an annuity that supplies you with retirement income, the portion of the payments that reflect your principal is tax-free. However, the rest is taxable. Here's an example. If you bought an annuity for $150,000 and after a decade, its value is now $225,000, you'd pay taxes on the $75,000 of earned interest. 
You should also be aware the insurance company that sold you the annuity is required to inform you what's taxable. Additionally, there's a different rule if you purchased an annuity with pre-tax money, like from or as an IRA, for example. In this scenario, 100% of your annuity payment is taxed as ordinary income. Moreover, you should be prepared to pay any taxes you owe on the annuity at ordinary income tax rates, not the more advantageous capital gains. Plan well and retire at peace. If you enjoyed today's show, visit us at retiredpeacepodcast.com and click on my radio page. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And finally, if you want more information about what we discussed today, give us a call at 888-324-0589. Thanks for listening. And until next week, this is Gerald G. Genright. Thank you for listening to Retire at Peace. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Gerald G. Ginwright at Mainstream Financial Group. Call 205-324-0589 or visit him online at retireatpeacepodcast.com. Gerald Ginwright and Mainstream Financial Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed on the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.